You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, each and every week, we appreciate you joining us. Make sure you guys continue to spread the word of the show. Follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Keep up with our guests, what we have coming out each week as well. It'll help you stay connected to the Hazard Ground community and everything that we have going on. I want to remind you guys about our amazing partnership with Amazon. That's right, Amazon. If you guys do Amazon shopping, and I know you do, here's what you can do from here on out. Go to our website, hazardground.com, and all you got to do is click on the Amazon banner on our homepage, and that will take you right to Amazon, do all your normal Amazon shopping, whether it's for personal stuff, home, business, whatever it may be. We get a kickback from Amazon on a portion of whatever you spend, and we donate that directly to one of the charities that you've heard here on the Hazard Ground. So you guys are helping out veterans just by doing your normal Amazon shopping. Once again, go to hazardground.com, click on the Amazon banner, do your normal Amazon shopping. You'll be helping out veterans organizations everywhere. want to remind you that this week's episode is brought to you by our new sponsor, Knife Country USA. Knife Country USA is the largest selection of knives, cutlery, and accessories on the internet. With over 30,000 models from over 500 manufacturers, Knife Country USA is confident that they have the perfect item for you. In addition to a tremendous selection, no other company can beat Knife Country USA's commitment to exceptional customer service. The owner of Knife Country USA personally guarantees He'll do whatever necessary to make sure you're 100% satisfied with your Knife Country USA purchase. And now, Hazard Ground listeners get a deal. A special discount on all Knife Country USA purchases. Just go to our website again, hazardground.com. Click on the Knife Country USA banner on our sponsors page. Enter the coupon code HAZARD1 at checkout and get 15% off your entire order. That's HAZARD1 coupon code at checkout to get 15% your entire order when you click on the Knife Country USA banner on the Hazard Ground Sponsors homepage. Final time, Hazard, the number one in the coupon code. Now, on to this week's episode. This week's guest is a former Marine who managed to turn his post-military life into something of media fame, if you will. He was the creator of Duffelblog, and he now works for the website Task and Purpose, which is an amazing military-related, military news-type website. He is Paul Zoldra here on the Hazard Ground Podcast. Paul, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. That was a wonderful intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> I am the professional here. Um, <laughs> well, we do have, we do share that as, is in my, you know, I'm an, I'm a national guardsman now, but in my civilian career, I, I host a radio show. So we are both members of the media and, and there's a lot of uh, stories we can share from that standpoint, but I do want you to share your story about your time in the Marines and go back to the beginning and tell us how you got there. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I turned in 2002, uh, January 2002. Um, I mean, my path to the military is kind of, I'm sure it's, it's a similar story for many. I mean, uh, 9-11 happened for me when I was in high school. So um, the the attacks uh, that happened on, on September 11th, I was walking into, I was a senior in high school, walked into my history class, um, and saw my history teacher just sitting on his desk, looking up at a television. Uh, and we all, I basically was like, you know, like just what the hell is that? What's going on? And he, you know, said, Hey, they, you know, they, you know, attacked the, the world trade center. Um, and then we all basically just sat in history class watching history, uh, unfold. Um, and, Obviously, like most people, were pretty freaking uh, just 
blown away slash terrified. Um, anyway, uh, before this, before this occurred, I had always been kind of a, had an interest in the, in the military. My old man was in the army, uh, in the seventies. Um, and so, um, I used to always like, you know, <laughs> and mess around, look at his uniform and like put it on and stuff like that. And, um, I had a fascination with it and, um, I wasn't really, I wasn't sure about the military or going in, uh, prior to that. And then afterward, it was like, it was one of those things where I'm like, all right, I, I, I need to join. Like, this is the thing to do. You know, our country was attacked and we, I should join up. Like, this is my, you know, the moment here. I'm 18 years old. Like, let's go. Um, so I went down to, I went down to uh, a recruiting office or I don't remember exactly either. I saw one in the high school hallways or whatever. Um, but ended up, I ended up going at a, uh, to the recruiting office and like they have these, you know, they, they usually they're co-located with all the different services in the same building. Um, that was the case for me. This is in, uh, uh, Connecticut. And, uh, I walked in and I actually, I being the dumb, just more on high schooler that I was, I wanted to join the Air Force because I figured I could fly planes and I didn't know you had to be an officer and, you know, do all that stuff. Uh, I figured you could just go in and be like, you know, I want to fly planes. Let me, you know, sign me up. Um, and I walk in trying to find the Air Force recruiter and the door was closed and locked. And, uh, so I, I go to like walk away and this other door is open and I hear this voice and he's like, Hey, who are you looking for? And, uh, I look in and there's this guy in a, in a dress blue uniform with all kinds of crazy medals all over his chest, um, looking out at me and I'm like, Oh, I was looking for the air force. And he goes, uh, well, he's not in. Come on in here. Sit down. <laughs> and it was, it was, the, it was the, the Marine Corps recruiter. And I like to that point before that point, I don't even think I knew what the Marine Corps was. I never even heard of a Marine Corps. Um, as far as I remember, like I knew about the army and the Navy, uh, but I don't think I knew about the Marine Corps at all. And so anyway, he gets me in there. He's talking about the Marine Corps, this amazing, you know, force that like goes in the first in, the first to fight, all that kind of stuff. And uh, I was like hooked. I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. Like, you sucker. You sucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he got me so good. So I talked to this one guy. I, I talked to this one guy and then he's like, he's like, all right, well, uh, you know, I'm like, all right, I got to leave or whatever. And he, he, he we schedule a follow-up appointment. And then, um, this was the first guy. He was like a gunny, right? Uh, which is an E7 for your listeners. And, um, and then, uh, so he was probably now that I think about it, he was probably like the, the, the dude in charge of the whole office or something like that. And he was just filling in. And then when I set up a, a an appointment next, it was with the staff sergeant, um, and uh, I met with this guy for the first time. His name was Staff Sergeant King, and he had—he was like this big, like barrel-chested, freedom-fighting, like monster, like football player guy, just gigantic muscles, like crew-cut blonde, uh, with like every medal you could imagine, like so much bling going on. 
and he had he had jump wings and stuff. He was like a force recon marine and all kinds of shit. Like this dude was was just badass. And he's telling all kinds of crazy stories about this. I'm like, oh my god, this I gotta yes, I wanna join. I wanna join up and I wanna join the infantry and be like this guy. Like I got they got me so good. Yeah, you made the recruiter's job kind of easy. You know, you're you're the one when they walk in the office, they go, oh, fresh meat. We got this one. Yeah, it was super. It it was super easy for them. Um, The only thing the only thing that I got like the the only thing that I got like sort of, uh, I guess, my for my own thing was I I did like delayed entry so I could have like the my summer my last summer after school to sure. kind of, you know, have fun and hang out and stuff before I go to boot camp. But, uh, yeah, that was it. So I joined up and, um, in, uh, you know, like it was like January ish or something like that. So like January of, uh, 2002. And then, um, I shipped to boot camp uh, September 3rd of that year uh, so I was on, I was in like, I was in boot camp like a year after 9-11. They had like these September 11th, like stuff up at the Chow Hall and stuff like that. Like everybody's talking about like war going to Afghanistan, like shit was real, like, yeah. you know, going to boot camp and stuff in that, in that period of time. Did your parents know you were doing this? Did you tell them ahead of time? Um, I told, I, I basically told, uh, I told my parents, so by that point, my parents were, uh, divorced my, but they lived like nearby. Like I would, you know, switch off and on to either one. Um, I told my, I told my mom. So I basically like, um, I don't, I I think I was 18. So I had, I could, yeah, I was 18. So I could do it myself. Like I didn't need them to consent or anything like that. Um, but I told my mom before I, you know, signed everything up and then she was like freaking out, you know, like, I don't want you to go that, you know, you're going to die. Like not, well, I'm not saying that, but like she was worried. Right. And, um, so my recruiter, the staff sergeant King character is like, don't worry about it. You know, I'll talk with your mom, you know, we'll set something up. And so he comes over one day, uh, with me because like and 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 to to meet my mom and my mom is like just like ready for battle you know like i gotta (laughs) tell i gotta tell this guy off like i'm gonna stop him and so she's got these really i don't remember what it was but you could tell that she was very like she was asking all these like really pointed questions and like where is my son gonna be what's his job like is he on the front lines and this and that and you know, recruiters, of course, are like master bullshitters. So he's like, he's like, don't worry, he's going to get the best training in all the world. You know, the the Marines, like they get all, they're, they're not, they're not going to be, he's not going to be on the front lines. That's more for like special forces, <laughs> you know, like, like all kinds of stuff like that. See, a minor and, technicality uh, that he's distinguishing there. He's not on the front yeah. front lines. He's not on the front front lines. He's just on the front lines. So he's like second, you know. Yeah, he's in the like... <laughs> He's in like the the sort of in in the back of the front line. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, you know. Um, anyway, he was really freaking good. He totally convinced my mom. After, and and then and not only 
convince my mom that like, hey, I'll be okay, but also that um, this was a great decision. I'm going to transform into this different person. You're going to be so proud, et cetera, et cetera. And so my mom was totally on board. My dad um, was sort of ambivalent about it. Like he didn't, he does, he didn't, he wasn't worried or anything like that. He had been in the military himself. Um, and so all he told me was, you're going to hate it, man. You're going to hate it so much. And I'm like, what are you talking about dad? Like, you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Like I'm going to serve my country. I'm going to go out there and do my thing. Like this is going to be a great experience. And he's like, you are going to hate it. It's going to be, there's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of this and that. Like you're trying to warn me of like just the dumb shit that you experience, you know, every uh, quite a bit in the military. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I'm 18 at the point and I know way more than he does. And so I'm like, yeah, whatever dad. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, it turns out he was right. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least for my first like couple of years, you know, like everybody experiences like the worst of it in the first couple of years when you're a brand new guy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, uh, the, the parents were, eventually came on board and then you know when i when i joined and everything like they both came down to my graduation from boot camp and and you know were super stoked to see me and like see what you see the the marine version of me so it's uh it worked out okay all right well listen uh it did work out okay but uh it's always fun to hear those stories about what the parents say it's a you get a wide variety of of reactions from several different types of uh, parents out there but let's fast forward because you get to boot camp um and that is a different experience for everybody what was it like for you yeah it's really funny because uh i got to i got to boot camp and um you know the marines like the first like 72 hours or so is like a it's like a fucking whirlwind you you are just constantly moving. You get like hardly any sleep. They're just moving you around, yelling at you, doing this thing. Like, I don't remember what the hell we were up. We just did so much crap and we're just under constant stress for the first few days. Um, and then, and that's all like receiving, like you get a receiving drill instructor and then they finally get you to your, your platoon and your company. And you get to your like, no shit, you know, actual uh, squad day. And I get there, and um, we did our obligatory, like, call-home phone calls. I think I called my mom, and you have to read this stupid script you can't deviate from. So you're like, I have re- I have made it to Paris Island. Like, this is, you know, do not worry or some crap, whatever they say on the wall. Um, and then, you know, like a weekend, we finally were told, like, hey, we can, you guys can, you can write home. Um, and so I... I wrote home and my mom, like my mom, bless her. She saved all my letters. And so I, the first letter I wrote, uh, is just freaking hilarious in retrospect because, um, before I left, my mom was so on board. She was so excited. She's like, you're going to be great. I'm going to be, I'm so proud of you. Like you're serving your country. Like she was, like ready and will like she was super marine mom you know and like was super uh, uh stoked for me 
and then she received the first letter and she told me later that she was going to, she was like ready to get in her car and like drive down <laughs> South Carolina and like ram the fence and like escape me from this, uh, this terrible place because I wrote her this letter where I was like, mom, these, I can't fucking believe that I did this. This is the worst fucking decision I've ever made in my life. These people are total fucking assholes. The drill instructors, like, destroyed the squad bay the other day. They threw all our racks everywhere. Our footlockers are everywhere. I don't know where any of my stuff is. This is the worst mistake I've ever made. I gotta get out of this place. Like, this is horrible. Like, it was, it was over the top. Like, super over the top. Um, and my mom was like super freaking out, but uh, I think it was like a couple weeks later. It, you know, it, the first first couple weeks, first couple first month is like, you know, pretty pretty crappy, and then it kind of it kind of uh, calms down a little bit. Right. And um, in the meantime, my mom had she was part of this like Marine Parents Forum or something like that, and, and everybody was advising her to be like, it's okay. We everyone gets this letter. Don't worry about it. It'll be better in the second one, and you know all this other stuff. And that's it. Got you know it got better. Like I you know adjusted to the whole routine and stuff like that. But um, you know boot camp for me. My dad before I went. You know my dad was like, "You're gonna hate it, whatever." And then he he gave me he gave me the the advice before I left. He said he said um, you know don't don't volunteer for anything and don't be first and don't be the last. That's all you got to do. And that's all I did. Like that was me, you know, like when they're like, you want to be who want, uh, we want squad leaders or who wants to be the guide. I'm like, fuck that. I don't want to be a guide. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do like, like the guide, our guide and the platoon guide was like on the quarter deck, like all day. He just lived there doing push-ups and you know just it was a nightmare for him and he was like he was super strong guy so he just sit there do push-ups like day in day out but um yeah i was like nah i don't want to be the guide i'll just be i, I could just be a, a marine like <laughs> i'll just be the recruit and i'll get through this thing and you know and uh, that's that's basically what i did i just kind of tried to stay I tried to stay under the radar and, and I, you know, my drill instructors, I don't think even knew my name for at least the, the first month or so, you know, I'd like never made it on the quarter deck. I just stayed out of trouble. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't too bad. Like I had the mass punishment stuff of the platoon, but individually, um, I did, I did pretty well. And I, I mean, I ate, I ate up the Marine Corps. I was like, stoked to be there and super like into it so when i'd see other uh recruits like not doing not being fast or not yelling or something like that like i was that sort of douchey recruit and she'd be like come on man like you can do it like come on get louder <laughs> like, like like urging my fellow recruits to be to be better um because uh yeah i was just like i was i was uh very, very, very brainwashed uh, uh, at that point. 
like loving it. So it's an interesting philosophy you bring up because there is a lot of that. Believe it or not, I mean, everybody, you know, the, the civilians out there think everybody in the military is the same. And we're all heroes and everything else, but there's a large majority of us at, at times throughout my career, myself included, where yeah, I just kind of don't want to be noticed. Like I just want to, you know, get through this course and get through this class. I don't need to be the honor graduate. I don't need to be first. I don't want to be last either. Just keep me in the middle of the pack, and I'm good. You know, it's that whole survivor yeah. thing um, where, where you don't want to be yeah. eliminated off the island, but you also don't want to be the best so everybody's gunning for you, you know? <laughs> so if you could just strive to be, yeah. you know, under the radar, you're good. All right, so you graduate boot camp <laughs> uh, and, and you head out to your first assignment. Well, first, I mean, how we, was graduating boot camp a proud moment for you? Was it like, you know, a big thing? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, it, was, it was amazing. I mean, uh, before you graduate, there's a... Um, I think it's the day prior to graduation because I think graduation is on a, on a Sunday. So on Saturdays, they have this thing called family day and your family can visit you and um, you can take them around the, the recruit depot for, I don't know how many hours, let's say five or so. Like it's, it's a short amount of time. You can go take them around and visit the, the recruit museum and or the, the depot museum and like get some food like regular food and stuff like that and um, that one was that one was really funny because everybody of course including myself like eats like a madman all kinds of candy and all kinds of crap and then um, you you come back and are immediately like smoked to death by your drill instructors till like everybody is like throwing up and it was it was hilarious because uh the the drone instructors just loved it because as soon as like they're seeing people throw up they're like you ain't marines yet <laughs> yeah, yeah subtle reminder that you haven't gotten through yeah yeah um, and actually it's funny like on graduation day we were in our alphas like in our alphas ready to graduate and like we were supposed to be it's funny how you remember this stuff like i don't i, I guess just a sidebar but it's funny like i don't i did not remember this story it's been so freaking long and after i'm sitting here talking uh, about this stuff then i'm like oh yeah this other story like i just remember it it's kind of fun um but i um uh graduation day we're in our alphas uh so the green pickle suit uniform we have sea bags um on our backs and we're supposed to be like staging them somewhere. So we put the sea bags on our backs. We're all online and it's, I don't know what it was like some, there was some sort of clusterfuck with some recruits or whatever. They weren't moving fast or whatever. And the drone started getting pissed. And so he had us like doing push-ups and doing all kinds of shit on, in our alphas with a sea bag on our back on graduation day, <laughs> like, <laughs> like right before we were about to get out of there. Um, but uh, we, you know, we went down and we, we did the graduation thing. We did the marching and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, they, they, uh, they said dismissed and um, we, uh, we backed up, did an about face and then saw my, there was my, my mom and, and my dad and my brother um, and my girlfriend at the time. They're all there in South Carolina. And like, it was, it was awesome. It was, uh, it was really, it was a really, really great moment. And I was like super proud and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good time, and then it ten days of um, ten days of leave after that. We we just drove away and like drove back to Connecticut, it's where I'm from. And um, before it was like 
we were outside the gate for, you know, five minutes or something. And I'd seen, I saw a, a uh, sign for Burger King or something like that. And we stopped at Burger King, which was on the way to lunch. We were going to some restaurant. I'm like, stop at Burger King. <laughs> and I ordered, I ordered like two, you know, value meals from Burger King and like wolfed them down in, you know, 30 seconds and then still ate a full meal. And my mom was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> she, they told you, see, you should say, I told you they were going to make me a different person. They did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is crazy. All right. So uh, where's your first duty station and how quickly do you deploy? I mean, did you have an idea when you left boot camp that you would you would deploy in a, in a soon amount of time or what? You didn't know at all. No, I, I had no clue. Um, my first duty station was uh, in Hawaii uh, with Third Battalion, Third Marines. Oh, very nice. Um, in uh, K-Bay. But uh, before that, we, like before that, I got back or I got done with boot camp and then went down to uh, uh, School of Infantry down at, it's in North Carolina. And uh, we did the training there. We did all the infantry training. I ended up uh, being uh, uh, trained as a, a mortarman. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it was what was really weird about how I ended up in Hawaii. I, like, I don't know how the hell this works, but it was just really strange because SOI East, there's two school infantries. So there's the West Coast one, at Pendleton, there's the East Coast one uh, at Camp Geiger, and you know, as you would expect, the East East Coast SOI usually feeds into the East Coast Infantry Battalions. The West Coast SOI usually goes to Pendleton or Twin on Palms or Hawaii. But for whatever reason, uh, when I graduated from SOI, and this was in like March or not not March, like January of 2003. Um, this was like right when we were starting to work up for the Iraq invasion. Um, half of us, uh, mortarmen got sent to Lejeune and half of us got sent to Hawaii. And so like the, the other half, this other half went to, uh, Lejeune and like immediately picked up with infantry battalions that were like going straight to Iraq. Like it was, it's kind of wild if you think about it, like guys I went to, boot camp with an SOI with that were civilians like five minutes ago or <laughs> like on a plane going to Iraq to do their thing. And then they sent like a bunch of us uh, to Hawaii where we're like, you know, what the fuck? <laughs> what are we doing out here? Um, but uh, we, uh, I got to Hawaii in like January-ish um, of those three. And then uh, we deployed in like March um, but we went on the, we were on like a, a, uh, unit deployment rotation to, uh, Okinawa. So I went to Okinawa for six months. We were in Oki for, for three months or so. And then we did three months on ship with the USS Essex, uh, just kind of floating around the Pacific, being bored, um, watching a lot of DVDs, um, you know, trying to watch the World Series and having it go out when the as soon as the pitch goes, like stuff like that. So, I had a bore, very boring first deployment. Yeah, and and you know, it's a it's always weird what kind of path the military puts you on, right? Because you never really can tell uh, where it's going to lead you, and sometimes if you sit back and let the military do its thing, you end up with some amazing experiences, and other times you kind of have to force your way through. 
uh, to make those experiences happen. So your first deployment, less than stellar. At any point in time when you're doing this whole thing, you're like, you know, this isn't exactly what I signed up for. Like, I wanted to go, you know, protect America from the bad guys, and there are no bad guys in Okinawa. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was really kind of, I was, I was super moto. Like, I wanted to go to Afghanistan. You know, that's what I signed up for. I really wanted to go. Um, and then when the Iraq stuff was happening, uh, I really, really wanted to go and be there. And um, it just, you know, it wasn't like, obviously, I'm like, I was a PFC or a Lance Corporal at this point. Like, I don't have any say in this. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it was, it was boring. Like, we did a lot of training. We did, we basically did mortar gun drills all day, every day. Uh, PT in the morning. It was like super hot there, like ridiculously humid. It's like black flag conditions uh, in Oki by like 6 30, 7 a.m. But uh, yeah, we just we just kind of uh, we just kind of hung out and um, and then we were on the Essex and I mean that was a that was a cool experience. We went on ship and um, at the time it was kind of it was pretty boring but uh, looking back on it it was I'm really happy that I got a chance to do that you know most Marines ironically we're Marines and we are you know all about amphibious landings and all that kind of stuff and most Marines nowadays don't even ever go on ship like they're always deploying to the desert um, yeah. so it's uh, I got that experience and it was actually really kind of cool to be on a ship and and you know the best the best sunsets I've ever seen in my life were out in the Pacific ocean, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And the best, the best stargazing was out there too, you know? So I, uh, I really loved, uh, love having that experience, but, um, you know, one, one little curveball kind of thing that happened, um, while I was on ship was we had this, uh, we had this staff sergeant that came to us and I, I don't remember his name, but he, um, he was a, a pretty like cool guy like he wasn't um he, i don't know he, he wasn't like he was an approachable individual and it, it turns out that he came to uh three three from uh the marine security guard program which i had never heard of and so he was he was like we were in the common area or whatever and he was telling us all about the msg program and you know how cool it is and so um you know, I mean, just to just, I, I guess I'll, I'll just explain it. So the MSG program is like, um, you're, you're in the Marine Corps, but MSGs are specifically trained to state department guidelines and all that kind of stuff. They're trained on state department, uh, firearms training, and they go and they protect embassies. They protect the personnel and classified material. And they're all over the place in every embassy. They're protected by U.S. Marines. And he was talking about how cool it is because you're in these different communities in these different countries, and you're pretty much like the only Americans there. It's pretty awesome. You get like a big house usually called the Marine House. You get all these cool benefits and perks and you know, the chicks love Marines. Like he was, he was almost like a MSC recruiter. <laughs> and uh, right. I thought it was pretty cool. And there was plenty of people that thought it was cool too. And it just turns out that like, after we got back from being on ship at Okinawa, the, the MSG screening team came out and they gave a brief on it and they were talking about it. And then it was like, who, anybody want to, you know, meet with us and, you know, try it, sign up for it. 
And so I met with them and I said, you know, like I re- I've heard about this program. I think it's really cool. Like I would love to join this and do this. And um, I went through the, you know, the screening process with the MSG people. And then, um, then they give you this packet of stuff that you have to like perform. You have to fill out and you have to do all this stuff. You have to do like, you know, PFT and, you know, a bunch of other light weigh in and get your records together and this and that. And uh, then that has to be routed through your, your chain of command. They have to sign off on it. And then once they're good with you, then you can go to MSG school. Well, I did all that. Um, my, you know, as most units are, they don't really like to lose people. So it was kind of a pain in the ass to try to get the signature of the battalion commander. Uh, but eventually I did. And, 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 and by the way, there were like, uh, five or six other, uh, people in my platoon that were trying to do this at the same time. And so we, uh, we, we did, we went through the whole process and then the last step, um, I had had everybody sign off on me. The last step is for your MLS monitor, the 0341 monitor, who's back at Quantico, who has no fucking clue who any of us are. He's just worried about the numbers of, of who's doing what job. He has to release you from your MLS so you can go to MSG school. And uh, this guy, uh, he took, uh, I think, now that I think about it, I think it was like six to eight of us or something like that. He took the first like five and my name Zoldra S Z sucks so bad. (laughs) (laughs) I know where you're going with this. (laughs) Alphabetically went alphabetically down the list. Didn't look at anybody's packet, did not care what the hell you were as a Marine. He just went alphabetically and picked the first five in order. And I was shit out of luck. (laughs) So, um, I missed my chance at MSG, uh, but uh, that you know, then then uh, that obviously that got me. Instead of going to like a embassy in Iraq or something like that, I ended up going to Afghanistan on normal deployment. So there you go. Like I said, you know, sometimes the military kind of uh, directs you in the place that you want to go. Okay, so you finally end up in Afghanistan. Uh, where'd you go? What was the mission? What were you told? Give me all the particulars. Um, so we, uh, we came back from, from deployment, uh, to Okinawa, uh, I think like right before, uh, right before Christmas, uh, 03, we get, we had a Christmas leave block. Um, and then, um, so we had a Christmas leave block and then, uh, we came back and, and when we came back, we, um, we actually uh, were kind of hearing rumors that we were going to be going to to Iraq, or you know, the, the whole battalion would be going to Iraq. And then, in the meantime, um, hold on, let me back up here. Now I'm trying to think of the timeline again. Um, so, yeah. So actually, we came back. Now that now that I think about it, so we came back from Christmas leave, and. Uh, this was like right after invasion. So it was like OIF two, I guess is what they called it. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. with the, the follow on forces. And, uh, there was a, there was like a call to our regiment, uh, out for combat replacements, uh, for people who are wounded or killed. Like they were asking for volunteers 
to to go and uh, go to first Mardiv. and um, and so it was like everybody under the sun, like everybody I knew, including myself, was like volunteer, like yeah, I want to go, um, but we were all boots. Like we were, we just, we just came back from our first deployment. So they just like anybody that was like a Lance corporal, uh, like super boot Marine, like they didn't choose. They picked like all of our senior Marines, like all of our corporals and sergeants were basically gone. Um, like all of my senior Marines were, uh, went to first Marine division, um, to, in, in all these various, battalions like that's why i know like i know people that i served with you know that were in my company and then they they were wounded or kia and it's in some weird like it's it's kind of all over the place as far as units are concerned Mm -hmm. um and uh so yeah we we stuck around like uh for like a few months and my platoon we had like uh, not no bullshit literally zero ncos it was all lance corporals like everybody was a senior lance corporal and so we all we had were lance corporals e3 below and our platoon sergeant a gunny and amazingly this shit ran so fucking well <laughs> like, <laughs> like, every all everybody wanted anybody like it was all lance corporals and all anybody cares about as a Lance Corporal is just whippo. Like, how do I get out of work as fast as possible so I can get the hell out of here and go to the beach or go to the bar or whatever? And so everybody was super motivated to, like, do just as much as possible weapons maintenance, vehicles, like, whatever Gunny said, like, go do. And we freaking got it all done, like, so quick. Um, and, you know, and, and then, you know, besides that, like, we were actually pretty – we were a pretty decent platoon, like tactically, uh, like we went to, uh, we went to like, uh, this, uh, this training area, it's called Pohakaloa training area, uh, on the big Island of Hawaii. If you have any Hawaii listeners, uh, <laughs> that were in like the, the 25th ID army or, or Marines, they'll know it and they'll probably hate it. <laughs> um, no, I but, deployed uh, as a 25th ID. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we, uh, we went out there and we were doing, we did this like head to head, like competition with our sister battalion. And, uh, it was, it was funny because like, it was all Lance corporals and we fucking wrecked them. Like we were so much faster on the gun, like doing just so much, so much better. Um, uh, so it's like, it's kind of funny. They say like the NCOs are the backbone of the Marine Corps, but it's actually, I think the Lance corporal, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, it was kind of it was kind of an interesting period for um, during that time. But when do you get to and Afghanistan? Then, um, yeah, so during this time, we're hearing some rumors, and the rumor was that we were going to go to Iraq. That was that was what we were hearing, and then and so they started us going on this like training exercises or, or doing like we were doing the pre-deployment workup, and they were saying Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. So we did. We went to Twenty Nine Palms. We did all this crap there we did like village stability operations and all the all the the, all the actors were like iraqi kind of people we went to this other training thing with like hollywood doing you know fake rpg blasts and all that other stuff and it was all like iraq based and then at the last minute like i think we came back from uh 
we came back from the Hollywood thing or something, and then they're like, we're going to Afghanistan. And our next, our next thing that we did was Bridgeport, which is this like mountain warfare training center up in Northern California. Um, so we did all that. And then in November is when we actually, November, 2004 is when we, we deployed to Afghanistan. I was actually on advance party. Uh, so I got there a little bit early, like I missed Thanksgiving, which sucked. Um, and, uh, it was a uh, it was a seven month seven month uh, uh, seven month period and uh, uh, we started out at uh, Bagram Airfield of course and I was there for like a week and then um, we took a, a C one thirty down to uh, Bob Salerno which is I've I I guess I've I've been told that it's like really big now and it's like a huge airfield and there's all kinds of stuff there but yeah. at the time like it wasn't that big there was just there was the airfield was just for helicopters. Um, it was still a kind of a big fob, but it's nothing nearly as what it is now. Um, but what was really funny is uh, when we were coming in, and I wrote a duffel blog story about this. That's kind of it's like biographical. Um, when we were coming in, I had this sergeant who I still hate to this day. Like you have these guys that you have these people that uh, you know you have in your platoon that you just cannot stand, and for us for our platoon we just called him that guy we wouldn't even say his name we just his name pissed us off like everybody hated this guy he was just a he was just a huge douchebag he had no clue what he's doing um and so anyway this this sergeant we're coming on the bird in the c-130 and uh he's sitting right next to me um because he he sat next to me because i was the i was the the humvee driver like i was basically his right hand man and so like we're sitting next to each other on the bird and they're saying like we're you know we're coming into salerno and it's my first you know combat deployment i'm i don't know what to expect you know but i'm like i'm like whatever i'm on a c-130 no big deal and we're coming in for landing and i and i notice i look over and he like pulled out of his his uh around his neck he had like a cross or something and then he had the you know one of those little lockets with a photo and he'd open the locket and he looks in and there's his wife and his kid and he like kisses them and then he puts it back in and i'm like holy fucking shit like we're going into d-day right now like oh my god like he fucking terrified me i'm like what the fuck and, uh, you know, he was like super fucking freaked out. And then we land and it's like, we're just walking off the bird. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like so annoyed. Um, but yeah, that guy, that guy is like the, the, the bane of my whole deployment. Like you just have, there's so many stories of him being an idiot. So, yeah, well, there's, um, there's unfortunately more of that than we wanted. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but, uh, yeah, we had this one. So we had two. We had two sergeants. Uh, they they split up our platoon into sections, and so like they took two guns, and then they'd send two guns to Salerno, two guns to Gardez, two guns to Abad, and then uh, like two guns to uh, Camp Blessing. Like so, everybody was all over the place, and so our two guns. We had two sergeants, and this other sergeant was like awesome everybody loved him he was super well respected he knew exactly what to do like he was just he was the best the other guy was that guy and so there was one there's one instance where we we're all sitting in our tents and uh 
in Salerno and we're just, you know, this is, we're off mission. We're just shitting around, you know, watching fucking OC or something in the tents, hanging out. And, uh, Sergeant G, the, the cool guy walks in the tent and we're all like, Sergeant G, what's up, man? Like everybody's like, yeah, Hey dude, what's going on? And then like, He's like, oh, what's what's going on, guys? And then, like, immediately after, that guy walks in, and everybody's like, <laughs> like, like, there's no hello, there's no nothing. Everybody's like, fuck. <laughs> this guy. Yeah, that guy. Oh God. Well, you had um, you had told me that your your overall you know combat experience was limited and kind of rather uneventful from that standpoint. You know, this is your only deployment. Yeah, my only deployment to Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, that that one was that. So, yeah, I had it was it was super boring. This is like late 2004, 2005. So it, at the time, you know, it, at the time it was basically like all of our resources were shifting to Iraq. Right. And yeah. the insurgents were responding in kind, and so we just we rode around for like hours and days on end. Um. And, digging up weapons caches. Like that's all we did. Most yep. of the time we searched houses and, um, we just, we went driving around forever, just trying to get shot at like no bullshit, just hoping to God we can get shot at. Like we had this. So you had a reason to fire heel. back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like we we're just, what the fuck we want to get shot at so we can shoot back. And our CO, <laughs> our CO who's awesome. I love this guy. We, uh, we went out to this place one time and, uh, he was super frustrated that we were, you know, not getting in any firefights whatsoever. Um, cause that's the best way to find the enemy. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he, uh, we get out, we get out to this place that we're going to like stop for the night at. And he tells everybody, he's like, look, set up a shitty defense. This is at, this is at daytime. It's like, set up a shitty defense. I don't even want to know where the rest I of want... this is going. <laughs> God. Yeah. yeah. He's like. He's like, just put the trucks wherever the fuck you want. I don't care. Oh my god! All of you get out of the trucks. All you guys get out of the trucks and just, just bullshit. Just get a school circle. You know, just talk like you normally would. Just do that, and just let's do that until the uh, until nighttime, and then we'll sit. We'll put on MVGs and we'll fix our positions, and you know, then we'll be ready. And, you know, like basically like showing the Taliban, like, look at this unit. They're a fucking bunch of idiots. Like, we'll shoot those guys tonight. Even that didn't help. <laughs> like, even that, like we were the we were in the worst tactical position and like trying like hell to try to get some something happening. And it did not. And uh, even at night, like didn't happen. Um, my one like I had like a close call. Um, we. We were out on a on a like two or three day op or something, and uh, the vehicles we had these really shitty Humvees, and the vehicles were constantly breaking down, um, constantly breaking down. And like we had the tow bars, we had that we had to have. Like if you bring anything on patrol, it's a tow bar. And um, we had a bunch of vehicles that like broke down, of course, including my own. And so uh, we get to this one spot where we're gonna stop, and then our CR or whatever is like, Hey, just like, let's take half of you guys. Let's you go back and fix the, fix the Humvees. We're going to stay here for the night. And so they took like half of our platoon, uh, back, took the mortars back. Um, you know, half our guys left. And then, um, 
that night, like we were back at Salerno that night, these assholes got into a tick and I was so mad. (laughs) I was so mad. Nobody got, it was like, we had a, we had a guy get wounded. He got wounded and he got shot like in the arm, like in and out. Um, but it was like a really quick 15, 20 minute firefight. If that in the middle of the night and turns out later, it was basically not even like, it wasn't even a insurgents or anything it was just the next village that was attacking the other village because they have like a blood feud going back thousands of years and so like they just were like walking by and like oh there's americans let's shoot those guys <laughs> yeah they're here why not and uh and that was it and then the next morning you know after this is all done the next morning we go out and and i run into my buddy uh my buddy who was there and he's telling me he's like he's just he's just like being a, a big shit about it he's like yeah, I just put down fifty-four rounds of high concentrate five-five-six at the enemy, buddy. <laughs> wow! And, uh, yeah, just just thrown in our face. Um, but yeah, so we had all like close calls or whatever. We got um, we had the we had we got indirect fire at the fob pretty regularly. That's about it. Like we got rocketed attacked all the time, which is like no big deal. Um, and then it wasn't until like six months in our, our, into our deployment that I actually, you know, saw something, which was an IED, which sucks. Um, but yeah. we were driving up to, we were driving up into the Korngal, our, our XO, uh, battalion XO was doing this, like go out to the fobs everywhere. And so we were doing security for them and we're driving on that, this one dirt road up to, up to camp blessing and up to Abad. And so we're driving up this road and there's a river on uh, the left-hand side. There's this like big rock wall on our right-hand side and then mountains behind it. There's like a village. There's people on both sides, like village wise. Um, And, you know, looking at it now, like it was the perfect fucking spot uh, to hit us. And, if anything, you know, like before this point, I always thought that like our enemies, they're savages. They're fucking idiots. They don't know what they're doing. Like they don't, they fire, you know, blind over, over, uh, over ledges and stuff like that, which is true in some point. But, um, you know, they're also really fucking smart. Um, cause they hit us in a really good spot. And so it was a five vehicle convoy. They hit, uh, the third vehicle. I was in the fourth um, and you know, thank God the third vehicle was the only up armored vehicle that we had. So everybody else was like super soft. I was in a high back Humvee in the back that was mm-hmm. completely wide open. Um, which for like years afterward, I would think about like, why the fuck didn't he wait 10 seconds? Like, why the hell am I here? Um, and, uh, they, he hit the, 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 the up armored one and, it was, you know, it blew off the, it, it basically blew off the front of the truck. The, the inside was basically intact. Like they had just bumps and bruises. The, the hood of the, the vehicle like flew off. Um, and we were just, we were just sitting in the back of our truck, just kind of bullshit and looking around, you know, it was kind of like, you know, this is a boring deployment. We're very complacent at this point. And, when this happened, like all of a sudden I look, I look to my left and I see that the truck in front of me had just like basically ripped, 
ripped out of the the road and was like up in the air. And then there's a there's a a fucking hood coming over like up in the air like really freaking high and all of a sudden like holy fuck like everybody's like holy shit like this is real you know like there are people that are trying to kill us right now this is wild and um we start screaming at our driver like dude back up back up back up and he backs up real quick the hood of the the vehicle like landed where we were oh man uh so he's a really good driver got us back and then um, it was me and like two other Marines. I mean, I'm like not mentioning names. So I, I kind of want to, you know, throw people's names out there. Some of them are still active and stuff, but, um, um, two other Marines in the back, we had the two Terps. They were like cowering in here in the back, like fuck. And we just jumped over them. And, you know, we basically were like trying to find a way to get to high ground. And there was a stone wall that was right by us. And then this really running river, on the other side. So it was like, we couldn't even get to high ground to see like where a potential trigger man was at all. Like it took us quite a while to get around this wall. And then in the meantime, the, our corpsman, um, our corpsman is coming up from vehicle five to check on the third vehicle. And he's like running up pistol in his hand. Like we joked to him later, like, what were you going to do? Like fucking shoot him doc. Like <laughs> what are you, uh, what, what kind of medical, uh, help are you going to get with that M nine? But, uh, he runs up and he goes to the, the third vehicle and the, the guy in our platoon that was up on the two forty, he was like sort of lean. Like he was, he, I don't know. He like, he got fucked. The, he got like fucked up as far as like maybe a concussion or something. And he was sort of like, falling over on the 240 like we thought he was dead and the uh, the doc yells at him and he's like hey he yells his name and he goes like are you okay and he kind of comes to and he he looks back at us looks back at the doc and he racks the 240 and he's like i'm fine (laughs) 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 it was just like it's just a great moment like for me to think of Marines, like yeah. that's Marines to me. Like it's, you just got blown the fuck up and you're like, fuck this guy. Like I'm going to, I'm, I'm fine. Like leave me the fuck alone, doc. It, it's, it's very, um, it's odd how there are so many moments of levity in combat for people who are there because you don't laugh about much when it comes to combat, but th- these little things that pop up from time to time will always stick with you. And you just, you know, uh, you, you remember some things that made you laugh harder than you ever would have expected right in the middle of combat. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny too. Like our dark, like the sense of humor that we get, like the sense of humor that I still have going yeah. on with, and I've carried into duffel blog, like that, that's like, that's where that comes from because you know, when we were, when we were at, so after this happened, we had to wait, we basically had to wait around for a tow truck or whatever to come pick us up and grab this truck out of the way. And so we were waiting around for a while. And at that point, you know, at that point, like adrenaline's worn off. Now I'm like, Oh my God, I could have died right now. And you're thinking about that. And then, um, sort of to get over that, you joke with each other. You're like messing with people and like, just, I don't know. You're just kind of messing with your fellow Marines and like telling them stuff. Um, 
to just joke around and, and it's almost like self-therapy. Like you guys, you don't even think you're helping. Like you say something to them and they say something to you and you don't realize you're actually doing some therapy right now. And, um, anyway, like the, the dark humor sense of, of Marines, um, is that like when we were finally back and we we're okay and like safely behind the wire at, at camp blessing, um, the the guy the marina was in the in the turret immediately got a new nickname we called him bomberman <laughs> <laughs> and he was he was the bomberman for the entire like the rest of the deployment and like forever like that's he just earned that one he's got that one and he's just like fuck you guys you know <laughs> <laughs> so it was that's you know i'm i'm really thankful um we I, you know, we, we got, we got hit by that IED, um, afterwards there was sort of like little, I don't know, like pot shots here or there you'd hear like a crack uh, and then where everybody's like, where the hell did that come from? But there was no, like, we, we were never able to respond. Like we didn't know where anything was coming from. So like, you know, it was, we're just messing with a ghost we don't know where the yeah. hell they were and so i never got to fire my weapon um never got to do any of that stuff and you know looking back on it now i'm actually pretty thankful i you know i didn't have to do that sure and, yeah like i don't have to i don't have that that experience like at the time i was like man this sucks i really wanted to shoot this guy that just bombed us and now i'm like yeah, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. It's whatever. Perspective you know? perspective over time yeah. changes a lot. Um, this is a good time yeah. to bring up Duffelblog because you've mentioned it a couple of times. You know, you get out of the Marine Corps and you move on. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about the premise behind Duffelblog, but how did it all get started? Yeah, um, well, I'm going to do I, – I, so after I came back from Afghanistan, I, 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 I ended up – I got promoted to corporal, and then um, I – stupidly thought like hey i'm getting i'm people are treating me better this is way more fun like <laughs> i should stay in and so i actually re-enlisted um and i stayed in for another four years i basically the most of the time i did i did i was an instructor at the school infantry in uh camp pendleton so basically like teaching new infantry marines uh which i really uh really like to do um, but I got out in 2010 and I went to college and I started, um, I didn't really know what the hell I wanted to do, but, uh, I joined the entrepreneurship program there at my, at my school is university of Tampa. And, um, and, uh, it was just basically like learning how to build a business, how to start stuff and something I had no idea about. And, uh, it was my business idea that I was kind of working on while I was in the program was, uh, an idea to like help veterans in there when they're going to college and like help them figure out what college to choose and stuff like that. Like a GI bill resource before there were GI bill resources. And, um, it was accidental really about duffel blog. I, I started this one website to do GI bill stuff. And during that process, I was like looking into, um, how to get people to your website. And there was a thing about blogs and you need to start blogs and do this and that. And I'm a fan of the onion. I love the onion. Uh, but sometimes they do like military stuff and it's off, you know, they get, they call a, a Marine, a soldier, or, you know, stuff like that. It's like, if you, 
if you're in the army and you watch the Hurt Locker, you want to like, you want to like lose your freaking mind. Yes, because it's such um, Hollywood BS. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the same with with that. Like the satire is is really funny usually, and then some something like that kind of messes it up and it ruins it. And I thought, oh, I could do that, you know, and uh, you know, like not that hard. Well, it is, <laughs> but uh, I. Um, I started up a new blog and I called it duffel blog. I just thought like duffel bag, duffel blog. It kind of sounded like it, it, it worked well. And, um, I started up as March of uh, 2012 when I first started the, this blog and, um, well, still in college at the time. Here's how you know and it's then, interesting. Um, I'm sorry, Paul, yeah. but here's a, I mean, it, it says the tagline, love by grunts in the field and generals in the Pentagon alike. I mean, you know you're hitting a wide audience when you can put those two people in the same sentence because typically those two types of individuals like nothing the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's funny. I think it's it's great that it, it kind of goes across the ranks, across the branches, and, and that's, that's kind of what um, – what our contributor base is as well. I mean, I'm thankfully, you know, the reason that Duffelblog is what it is today is because there are people that were, were in the military or still in the military and they decided that they wanted to write for Duffelblog and they went through the process of that and they write really fun stuff. I mean, it's really awesome. And if it weren't for, if it weren't for those, uh, those people, um, it would be, you know, me telling my dumb Marine Corps stories and I wouldn't have much to go on. And <laughs> like, it's just, uh, it was, it, it really kind of grew, um, like I never had this overarching plan of like, here's what I'm going to go with and stuff. It just kind of really, it just grew organically. You know, like right. I started it not knowing what I was going to do with it. And you started writing everything on the site. And, you know, one day I got this email from some some guy in Kuwait, soldier. And he's like, man, I'm super bored. I love Duffelblog. This is great. You know, can I write for you? And I'm, I'm like, uh, yeah, man. Like, of course. That's cool. I can't pay you anything. Like, you, you really want to write? And he's like, yeah, dude, this is great. Like, I, I got nothing to do here. You know, I got, you know, basically it's like, in Kuwait, you have like you eat chow and you jerk off. Like there's nothing. To do there. Pretty much, Kuwait is and, uh, Kuwait is literally the worst place to be in the military. <laughs> yeah. So, so he was like the first the first guy, and then after that, I had a, I had a guy that was in the in the navy. Um, he uh, he signed on board, and it kind of grew from there to be, you know, a contributor kind of site, and uh, it's uh, it's been going since then. Uh, I mean, it literally, it's it, it's a lot of fun to read. Anybody who's in the military certainly appreciates the satire and the humor of the whole thing. Um, you've also parlayed uh, your stuff at Duffelblog into a job now for TaskandPurpose.com. And for those who don't know, Task and Purpose is an excellent military news source. It's it's full of opinions, um, but it's also news. Uh, it's just, it, it gives you that angle because everybody who writes for there uh, is either, you know, former military or current military, has ties to the military and understands the environment um, and, and task and purpose is just, I find it great because there is, there's the viewpoint that I want that's unabashed from the people that I trust. And, that, and that's really hard to find sometimes in news media. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks so much uh, for that. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm at task and purpose. I've been there for, I've been with 
writing for them for I don't know like six seven months now. Before that, it was uh, it was at Business Insider. Um, I did a stint at We Are the Mighty as well, um, and that just kind of started it, again. It just kind of flowed from Duffel Blog. Um, I I when I soon after I started at Duffel Blog, I um, I uh, went to this military blogging conference in Washington D.C. And there I met, I met these two editors from Business Insider, um, and they, ha- they were the military editors, and they were coming down to talk to people and stuff. And I met them, and they knew what Duffelblog was, which is really cool because no one did at that moment. And, um, you know, afterwards, they were, you know, you were talking to them, and, you know, the guy's like, hey, uh, we do, you know, we do contributors and stuff. Like, if you want to write for us, like, opinion pieces, you know, you're, you're always welcome. And I, I was like, okay, that's cool. And, you know, after that, I, I sent him an email and I said, hey, I would like to write some stuff for you. And he set me up. And that was like where I started. I started as an unpaid contributor writing for BI, um, you know, sort of my takes on what was going on in the military, like, you know, my dumb, like, sergeant view of things. And um, and then I did that for a while. And, and once I was graduating from college, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do for a career. Uh, Duffelblog wasn't really making money or anything. So I, I reached out to the BI people again and um, I was like, Hey, are you guys, you guys hire or what's the deal? And uh, one of them told me that, you know, they do an internship program. Like we have an internship program. You be here for a couple or a few months, but you got to be in New York and it is paid, but it's like 13 bucks an hour or something, but you got to be here in New York. And I thought about it and like just looking at what was around my area as far as jobs and it's, it didn't look all that good. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take the risk. And I moved up to New York um, for, you know, a few months being this like low level intern, not knowing a damn thing about the news business at all. Um, you know, having no clue, like learning on the fly. If I heard a news term, I would Google it real quick to figure it out. Like I wasn't asking people like sounding like a moron. Like it's, it was, that was definitely a military mindset of just like fake it till you make it, like yep. just yeah. figure out, figure it out and you, you know, adapt and overcome. You're going to do this. And, um, you know, I did, I did pretty well. And, and, you know, fortunately they hired me after that, which is really cool. Um, funny funny side note on this story um i tell them regularly when i see them is before i got there um i was in like a marine corps facebook group and i didn't know anybody in new york so i reach out to this facebook group and i say hey is anybody in here that like i'm coming to new york can anybody let me crash on their couch or something and this one guy said yeah you can crash with me like you know here's here's where to go and so i was hooked up with that guy he kind of flaked out on me like three days before that or something like that. And so I was desperate and I, I did it again. And then this time, this other guy, uh, his name's Greg and he, uh, was going to Columbia university at the time. And he's like, yeah, man, you can stay with me. He was a former grunt too. Didn't know him. Hadn't, I'd never met him. Um, all we knew, like all he knew was that I was an infantry guy and he was an infantry guy and I got there and he like, had this little tiny New York apartment and he like, like let me plop down on his couch for a month. Like his roommate was super pissed, (laughs) (laughs) you know, he's like, he let me stay with him. And he was like, 
just super nice about it and everything. And then after like a month, his, he couldn't really hold off the roommate. And he found me another person at Columbia, another grunt guy, another uh, Marine grunt who uh, his name's Abon and he was in like the school housing or whatever. And he had a bigger place and Abon was like, yeah, man, you can stay with me. And he put me in this, in his like living room or whatever for the other two or three months on an air mattress. And I always tell them, like, if I ever see them or whatever, like I owe my career to them, you know, like if it weren't for these two guys that I had no clue who they were before I came to New York, then I wouldn't be in the position I'm in. You know, I'm that, like that's amazing for, like, for them. The, the code and, and the, the kinship between guys who wear the uniform, people who wear the uniform, I don't mean males, but uh, you know, uh, people who wear the uniform is so strong. Like it, we'll do anything to help each other out. And, and it's just amazing that that part of the story really helps catapult you to where you are today. Um, I'm not surprised by it, but it, it just seems uncommon to most people because you never really would take in a stranger. It's not something a lot of people would do, even though, you know, you, you feel like they have some sort of security with them. That's just, I, I find that incredible. I think that's so great. Yeah. I, um, it's, it was really great. Like I, I have found that that's, that's kind of across the board, you know, like for me, if some, any veteran or anybody in the military, you know, is if they're getting out, if it's some, I've gotten random emails from people that are like, I want to do this or I want to go to college. Can you help me out? And I'm like, I will, I'm happy to help them um, and volunteer my time and like email or whatever it is um, just because people did that for me. And it's like, you know, I wouldn't be where I am if I, if people didn't do that. And it's like, you know, it's, it's the veteran thing. It's also just paying it forward. And, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's a really cool thing. That's, it's really yeah. kind of a, it is a veteran centric, uh, view of things where it's like, if you're a vet, you kind of already have that, like, you know, um, I'll help you out until you prove otherwise that like, you know, maybe you're not a cool guy or something right, yeah. you know? like <laughs> but you kind of have that, you get over that, uh, that hump like immediately just because of that. And, and I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's a lot more different. Marine infantry is a little bit smaller community. So if you're like a Marine grunt, then you're extra special and yeah, you, you have sense. a special place in my heart. So. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to ask you um, real quick about task and purpose and your work there. Uh, just because, you know, there's, there's a, it's a difficult space to operate in at times. And maybe it's not for you because you're, not in the military any longer. But for me, as somebody who's still wearing the uniform and still serving, you know, I, I get torn and conflicted because, uh, you know, I, I don't want certain things about my organization to be put out there. Um, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, it's not important to report the news. I'm not saying that at all. But I, I do think there is a general view by civilians, by the masses, about what the military is and what it's about. And the civil military disconnect, despite the fact that, there's military appreciation days everywhere and there's military discounts here and there and everything else. And they're all heroes. The civil military disconnect is actually greater now than it's ever been before. And, and I, I struggle with how much we should be reporting on the military and you guys, and this is why I'm drawn to task and purpose because there is a certain understanding of that, that, you know, there is still operations going on. There is still, you know, lives at stake. There is still this sense of that the military is doing a job that nobody wants to do. 
but yet people want to know about it. So how do you strike that balance? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a great, it's a great moment here to just mention uh, an example of mine. Yesterday I, I, I wrote this story. Uh, It took me like a month, uh, published it, task and purpose uh, yesterday um, and just for the a, listeners, yes, yesterday, I'm sorry to cut you off. Just when you say yesterday, I want everybody to know we're, we're recording this on August 9th. So in case, you know, they have a time frame. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So on Wednesday, I published a, an article uh, about the first known instance of an insider attack uh, on a U.S. Marine uh, or on a military member in Operation Inherent Resolve. A U.S. Marine sergeant was uh, shot and wounded um, by a member of the, the SDF in February of this year. And um, I did get some, not a lot, but I did get some uh, some people saying like, you know, maybe you shouldn't be, you shouldn't have written about this, or that's, you know, like you shouldn't have promoted this or whatever, this kind of thing. Um, you know, the, the bottom line is, well, one, I mean, the sources who talk to me, um, they 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 trusted me with the story. You know, they wanted it to be told. Um, as you can imagine, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to tell you about who they are or anything like that, but, uh, you can imagine like maybe where they were or what, what they are, they know more than I do, you know? And so if they think it's important, if they think it's an important story that people need to know, um, then I take that very seriously. Um, the other thing is just that, you know, if there's some, if there's some disconnect between, uh, the public and the military. And as far as we need to know, it's a military driven disconnect. It's not the civilians, you know, like the, the, the stuff that we see, um, we don't see happening in Syria right now. The military by and large operates in the shadows. You know, all we hear, we get, we get a, we get stories about, you know, airstrikes, you know, airstrike hit this truck and this ISIS fighter and this kind of stuff. But we don't know about the ground forces and what they're doing on a day-to-day basis. And I find it really – I find it to be a travesty, to be honest, to be like having a Marine Infantry Battalion, which is what this was. It was 2-7 to be on the ground in Syria providing security and potentially in a danger zone that they could be shot at and nobody knows about it. They're not fucking CIA. They're not special forces. They're a normal infantry unit. People should know what they're doing or at least a little bit of what they're doing. And if you're doing the right thing in the military, it's my view that you should be proud of it. We shouldn't be, we shouldn't be hiding. We shouldn't be hiding our successes. We shouldn't be hiding what we're doing. I get operational security. I totally understand that, but it's sort of, there is a, there is a, a balance. And I think the balance has, has tipped in favor of secrecy more often than not to the point of being ridiculous. Like if you go on, if you go on the DOD website or Divid's, the, the imagery service, sure. in the past year or so, there's so many more captions that say, you know, undisclosed location, which everyone knows means Syria, but we have to say undisclosed location. And now I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing uh, stuff like, you know, Marines are getting awards like they get an, uh, they get a like a, a guy from three seven. He got the Purple Heart uh, the other day. His, his photo 
from his awards ceremony went up on divots, got the Purple Heart in an undisclosed location. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like, why Why was he got shot? Why did he got you get shot? And where was he? You know, like, why can't we why can't we tell people this? He wasn't he wasn't some secret squirrel. He was just three seven. He's just a grunt, you know. And so, like, I get the whole I get the OPSEC thing, but there is a mindset that I have I have been told of uh, nowadays in the military where it's like we're in this crazy information warfare environment. And so we have to like any little detail can be pieced together because all the Russians are going to come to kill us. <laughs> and it's like it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit far fetched. Well, and to me, know, that like, that's that sort of seems like a cop out more than anything, because I think what and this is just my opinion, I don't have any insider information despite being in the military. But I think what high level military officials are scared of more than anything is the fact that the masses can't contextualize combat. So when bad things happen, they apply a morality and a sense of, of you know, uh, I guess ideology about what combat is and how it operates. And that's a dangerous thing to do. It's a dangerous thing to, t to put regular morals and regular, uh, you know, societal norms into combat environments because the two will never mesh. But I think the military is more afraid of social media backlash, uh, you know, backlash from from politicians and senators because their constituents are unhappy about what goes on. So the military struggles with the truth or at least consistency with the truth on certain matters because it, it, it it's a double edged sword. It's OK to put it out there, but it's the reaction of people who aren't in the military is what they're worried about. Yeah, well, I, I guess so for me, it's it's like. If you're in a in a declared combat zone, if you're in Afghanistan or Iraq, like when I was there and I came back, like I posted all my photos, people knew I was there. I wasn't, you know, telling them deployment dates or anything like that. But like, I was proud that I went and I came back, and um, you know, people knew about it. And it's like it's just it just seems so strange to me that you know a Marine can go through their career potentially now and deploy in a four-year span twice to the OIR, like the CENTCOM region, and they're, they can't really talk about it to a wider audience. Like that's supposed to be sort of a, like they were on, you know, secret, secret kind of stuff. It's, it's just really, it's, it's, it's strange to me. Like I know the OPSEC thing and all that stuff, but the bottom line is that the public elects our representatives, our representatives make the policies that send our military forces to war and our military forces execute that policy and if the public doesn't know about what the policy is that the military is executing then what the fuck are we doing here man we're in a democracy no i mean listen it's a fair point be, you're not they wrong. need to be informed they need to be informed yeah. of what the military is up to uh you know like another an example is the you know I, I don't want to like I don't want to dive into this this thing because they were special operations and it's a little different ball game for me like if you're special ops I sort of get the secrecy thing I'm more concerned about conventional use but the the ambush in Niger my first reaction and I think probably more people as well you had four guys killed um, you know that's it's freaking terrible. But my, and my, but my first reaction was like, wait, we have people in Niger. What the fuck are we doing in Niger? 
you know, like, and by and large, that's everybody, you know, like, everybody's like, what the fuck are we up to in there? What is going on? You know, what is our interest in Niger? What is the U.S. doing there? Why would we be there? Like, people want to know this stuff. People want to understand. And it's, there's a, there's a need for secrecy, but there's also a need to explain to people and be like, hey, look, we're in Niger because there are terrorists and we are training counterterrorism forces, et cetera, et cetera. Like, you, it, it, that's, that's okay. Um, that's what people should know about um, so that they don't freak out when stuff like this happens. You know, like yeah, people and- don't freak out as much as they did with the Niger attack as they do when people are killed in Afghanistan because they know Afghanistan is a war zone still. They know that that's still going on. And it's it's I, I don't want to say it's normal, but you are you understand that as a combat zone and that's where American forces are and they could potentially be shot or killed in Afghanistan or Iraq. You don't get that in in Africa or, you know, off the coast of Yemen or, you know, Somalia. Like it's 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 a little bit different ballgame. And I think it's it's concerning to people, at least some people about it, you know, and it's it's like it's a tough it's a tough uh, it's like a tough thing. I mean, it's like a push pull. So I'm on both sides of it. I see both sides of it. You know, I'm like I was in the military and I get it. And but I'm also like, I'm a journalist now and I get that too. And it's, you know, I, I can see both sides, but I'll tell, I will tell you with the SDF attack story that I published, I called damn near everybody um, asking, Hey, can you, like, I called the Pentagon. I called CENTCOM. I tried to call OIR. Like I called everybody under the sun and I was basically like, look, I'm about to report this story on this mission support site. And I said the name, which really gets people queasy because it's not out there. And I'm like, look, I want to know, I want to make sure that I'm not revealing anything that can get anybody killed. Like, I want to make sure that this is good to go. I'm still going to write it, but you, you know, I want you to go over with me. So I, you know, and I'm good and I feel comfortable with it. Didn't hear a damn thing. Like, no one. Everybody just passes the buck. Oh, you got to talk to OIR. You got to talk to OIR. And, you know, I gave I gave them a deadline, and they don't freaking respond to me. And I'm like, all right, I guess, I guess it's good. Um, you know, like, it's – I can only do so much. You know, I don't work for the military anymore. I work for the public as a journalist. Like, I write for people. And – and I have a duty to the sources that entrusted me with this information. So like I can, I can try to help the military or the DOD a little bit as far as like not putting stuff in there. Like I didn't put the name of the site in the, in the story. It wasn't necessary, but you know, it's like we, I, I, I don't, I can't play both sides. You know, I have to choose. Sure. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> I choose. I choose to, I choose transparency more often than not, you know, it's and like, that's your job. I mean, that's, that's fair. Like you said, you're not in the military anymore. So, so I, I, I look one, it's, it's disconcerting that you got 
deaf ears, you know, like everything you went to was, was basically ignored. That's disconcerting as somebody who's in the military and somebody who worked in public affairs uh, for, for a short portion of my career. Uh, you know, I work in journalism or media now, for, for lack of a better term. Um, and, and so uh, I understand both sides of it. And, and I have sympathy and empathy for what you have to do as far as your job is concerned and, and where that uh, those crossroads meet and how difficult it can be at times. Because like you said, you want transparency, but at the end of the day, your goal isn't to reveal information that you know will put people at risk, um, and, and and nobody wants that. And, and so it's tough. But look, I, I love what you do. Uh, I'm a big fan of Task and Purpose, and 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 I follow you on Twitter, and and I think some of the stuff you put out is just downright amazing. But I also appreciate your your honesty and candor in the way that you write it from a military standpoint because you understand it and you've been there. And I think. I think that's the sort of thing that needs more coverage in military stories as opposed to regular civilians covering it and, and, and putting their spin on things, which obviously is a much different take. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Thank you. Um, I, I will say there, there are good and bad on that front as far as civilians are concerned. Um, you know, but I, I, there's, you know, most of the defense press is civilian and, there's a whole lot of them that are really good that have no military experience. So it's, it's, um, you know, you have some people that really are bad. Um, but I, I think by and large, I, I, I just, I did want to say that by and large, I think the, the military press for the most part is, is pretty good at, at what they do. And they do, they do a pretty thankless job for the most of the time, especially the people like, like Leo Shane, um, and others who, cover veterans issues you know it's like without these people they we wouldn't have we wouldn't have coverage of you know the va problems and you know getting the gi bill and and all these things um you know it's reporters that put that stuff out there so um yeah i i do uh i do uh i do tend to think that military you know ex-military going into journalism is, is, is a good thing. I think it's a good, it's a good route to take and it actually helps you quite a bit. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to discount the civilians that do it too. Well, Paul, look, uh, you know, your story is incredible. Um, despite the fact that your, your military career, you know, as you said, wasn't all that exhilarating or nor was your deployments, but what you've done post-military is absolutely critical it's important uh and, and it's great work and as you said it's somewhat times it's it's mostly thankless work but uh from from one you know service member to another i thank you for what you're doing for the military and, and even though you're doing it as a journalist you're still um hitting the right notes and hitting the right buttons and, and talking about the right things that that people need to know about the military so from that standpoint i certainly appreciate it thank you so much and uh thank you so much for having me on all right paul zolger thanks for being part of the hazard ground all right you take care You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.